KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helotech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. And good morning. Good Saturday. It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. We are off and running two hours today. Everything, every day, all day, all about you, your questions and answers, anything related to regarding your do-it-yourself project, the uh, project happening with your neighbor, your uh, in-laws, your kids, you know, they're now purchasing these homes, uh, moving into their own places and have bathrooms, kitchens, floors, questions, electrical outlets, light switches, light bulbs, how to go about all that stuff. We talk about it right here on the Helitech Home Improvement Show right here on X. My name is Scott Mosby. Two full hours for you, 10 phone lines, a question and answer format. Sometimes I ask the questions and get the answers from the listeners. Generally speaking, most of the questions come my way, and I try to apply my half century of construction knowledge and trade knowledge to assist in any way possible. Think of me as the guy that made all the mistakes already yeah people say where did you learn all this stuff well a lot of it i learned out of a book but most of it i learned by doing uh some successfully some not successfully so i can be your research and development program for your home improvement Uh, likewise sometimes i will uh judge with the question that you may be over your head i'll ask that you contact a professional uh sometimes we get into electrical grounding electrical outlets uh aluminum wiring things like that that uh really uh though i have really good trade skills across the board uh they're not very deep and once we get into something like that, I will defer or sense that you may be as well over your skill level. I'll defer to a pro and ask that you contact, you know, a licensed electrician, licensed plumber, you know, certified uh, um, designer of some sort that can get you where you're going. People who are specialists in their place. Uh, I own Mosby Building Arts. We were founded in 1947 by my father, Sam Mosby. Uh, our program, Sam, now is kind of subscription-based service where it's, uh, if you just want to offload this problem of maintenance, uh, home checkups, uh, is it ready to go? That is the same service that we offer in honoring my father, the founder of the company. Anyway, Mosby Building Arts, we have pretty much every trade you can think of. We have a crew of painters. Uh, we have uh, licensed architects. We have um, certified designers, aging in place specialists, uh, certified kitchen and bath designers with you know dozens of years of experience. All of that. We have carpenters, uh, licensed electricians, plumbers. Everything it takes pretty much to handle a residential remodeling project. Why? Why do we have all those people? All right. You can call the BBB and find out about all the people that don't call back. Just the same, likewise, we have built our team uh, literally around accountability that when the schedule happens, it's time to come. Uh, We are not perfect. We are certainly uh, one of the best, I will say that. Um, But likewise, we have had to kind of go to an employee-based system to really uh, control the schedule, control the quality, 
society and likewise respect and keep and compensate our employees for the exceptional work they do and the training that we've invested in them over the last 70-something years. Uh, Scott Mosby here, phone lines for you, 314-436-7900, 436-7900, toll-free 800-925-1120, anywhere on the globe, 800-925-1120. We do have two full hours, 10 phone lines. Uh, all of that is indeed uh, fair game. Likewise, with this uh, COVID interesting uh, balancing act that we have, I have been spending more time at home. Maybe you have too. I found a long list of things to do. My, uh, gosh, my sock drawer has never been cleaner, not much less my closets and my garage and the trunk of my car. And Holy smokes, uh, with all that time around in the last several months, uh, now really approaching, you know, quite a long time. Uh, so anyway, a lot of things are happening there. Um, and I am comfortable answering most every question you have or deferring it to someone. And we have uh, specialists and, and professionals driving around on Saturdays. They call in part of the CAMWEX family and community. We get uh, answers from everybody we need. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. My particular bent, what really turns me on, gets my juices flowing, is, is frankly... Uh, and it, this is a little bit of my resume. Uh, my degree is in finance. I have an undergraduate degree from Mizzou. After that, in the world, and I grew up with tools, as did my two older sisters and my younger brother. So all four of us, really, I was about 11 or 12 years old before I realized not every family has trucks and tools and ladders and scaffolding and lumber, you know, I just thought that's the way life was because that's the way my life was. So anyway, that uh, go forward then as I came out of college, the old school way, put on the tool belt, and you basically start at the bottom, work your way up, becoming a, a, a master tradesman. In my case, it's a carpenter. And then after that, it's okay, so now you know how to do the work. Now let's get into some of the supervisory work. I became a foreman, construction manager, on-site manager. And then at that point, it was okay, what we don't really get is good design, good communication from the front end because that was outside the company. And, you know, I need a phone answer right now. Well, that was not as prompt as I would. So we moved in and this is all actually, uh, while I was a kid uh, working for my father after college, he was doing this, uh, bringing design in-house and all of that. So likewise now, we have pretty much everybody on board and uh, I have, um, really my, my excitement comes from putting together a really high-functioning team and uh, I really, just on a personal level, I got tired of being the smartest kid in the room. Uh, there's a lot of pressure with that. And what if I'm wrong? Do I have anybody smart enough to check and balance, you know, a bad decision if I make one? Well, then we started stacking on all these people. And the radio show attracted people similarly uh, to the same bent as me. And now we debate uh, what the best answer is, what the best solution, what we can actually deliver to the client as opposed to what the best thing is. For example, you know, if everybody's Michael Jordan on the basketball field, you know, that's one way to play a game. But getting passes and teamwork and communication going. If everybody's a superstar, it's a little tough to get that communication and teamwork built. So anyway, over the years, I've moved into really just having an exceptional team. I think we're there. Um, it, it's a constant vigilant effort because we have people that, uh, you know, really want to move up and they wind up uh, sitting for their, you know, licensed uh, in their electrician or licensed as a plumber, and they become part of our company in that way. But anyway, 
the issue is I love generalist questions, and it's not what is the best design. The answer is what is the best design you can thoroughly execute with high quality each time. So it's what is delivered, not the best idea. Um, and, and I've learned that over the years that uh, sometimes some of the finest design, I've seen some fabulous designs, and they could be built, but they could be built really with a blank checkbook. And I don't know about you, but, you know, that's a little bit of a skinny path. Uh, so just keep in mind that it's important that what gets delivered is what really matters. Anyway, Scott Mosby, phone lines. Uh, thanks for the calls. We've got a few on the board. Uh, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I am Scott Mosby. This is X, and I am at your service. Welcome back to the Helotech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, once again, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, two full hours, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Let's get the phones and Bosk, uh, oh yeah, we've got the gerbil. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's cranking there. Anyway, uh, let's see what's happening with my friend Mary. Mary, good morning. Welcome to Camwex. How may I help you this fine Saturday morning? Well, in my faucet, my hot water comes out cold and my cold water comes out hot. Not all of the time, but that's how it starts, and it just never takes a long time for it to change to the right temperature. Oh, well, if you have it that way and it doesn't change and it stays that way, uh, on a single-handled faucet, you can actually have the cartridge in backwards. But if it starts out the other way and moves back to, you know, hot's on hot and cold's on cold, actually everything's working pretty well other than the pressure balance within your system. You've got some bleed over where the hot side of your water um, because it all comes into the faucet. Uh, is, it a, is it a single-handled faucet here, Mary? Yes. Yeah. It, both of those come in, and they're kind of, um, uh, there's a ball in there, and the ball has holes in it. If the pressure on the hot side, and when you heat up water, it expands. So hot water is expands, and then it'll push into the cold side so literally you've got hot on the hot side and hot on the cold side so when you turn on the cold you know it winds up being hot and then you go back to the hot and then the chart you finally get cold water in there from the cold side anyway the bottom line is uh, you may have a pressure imbalance uh, that might require a um, expansion tank on your hot water heater or or have somebody check your hot water because it's the pressures there or you can have a pressure balanced faucet as well where the actual springs I would start by probably rebuilding the single handled faucet with the cartridge and the springs because when the springs get tired uh, they're not equal so you might get more of one hot than you do of the colds and that's the easiest and least expensive start uh, after that okay. I think I'd go up to the hot water heater and the expansion tank which is you know a lot of money so Okay, and just one other question. The water pressure, this, this is very strong when I put my, let's say I put the cold water on and the water pressure just isn't strong. What's that all about? Is it good on the, on the hot side? Um, not really. Okay, there's an aerator. You know the little thing on the end of the spout on, on, your, on your faucet? Uh-huh. Have, you ever, have you ever unscrewed that thing and pulled that screen out? No. 
okay, that well, especially in the St. Louis and the Midwest, we have high mineral deposits. High mineral deposits manifest itself as little sand pebbles, little grit, and there's a screen at the end of your faucet. And it unscrews on a counterclockwise. Typically, I grab one of those little belts for opening jars, the real sticky rubber. And then I'll Uh counterclockwise unscrew that. And if it doesn't come away easily, you can actually put a little bit of vinegar on it, put a a plastic bag of vinegar on, hang it on the end of the faucet for, you know, one to five minutes. Be careful, not much longer than that, because vinegar is an acid. It will remove finish from your spout. Uh, but it also okay. dissolves that uh, that uh, lime, and then it should come out. Be very careful. Put something down to cover the bottom of your sink because when you unscrew it, there are about four or five little tiny parts and pieces that fall out. But they're, the sand will block the flow of that water. You can have really good water pressure and still not get it outside of your faucet. Okay, sounds good. Okay, Thanks, good luck, God. Mary. Uh-huh. Right. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Home improvement, Scott Mosby, off and running, trying to get some of the simple things first. And and really, uh, I will take you to the easier fixes, the least costly things you can do yourself uh, before I take you up to a really, you know, call a pro or whatever. Uh, So anyway, that's always interesting. Uh, Let's go to Joe, see what's happening with Joe. Hey, Joe, good morning. Welcome to KMWX. How can I help? Hey, Joe, are you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. My question is pricing on a on a uh, electrician. How much would you expect to pay for an hour for a professional electrician? And in this company, so I want to know that number roughly. Mm-hmm. And in this company, when they when the, the electrician called and said he's on the way, arrived a half hour later and come to find that that half hour drive time was tacked onto my bill. Yes. So is that normal procedure? Am I paying for his drive time? Um. Yeah, welcome to St. Louis. Uh, IBEW, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, has negotiated that. Drive time is part of compensable time, uh, driving to the first job site in the morning and home in the afternoon. So that's the basis of it, of the trade rules in in this jurisdiction, if you will. So that's where that starts. Uh, likewise, uh, if you're in that, your typical per-hour charge for an electrical, and typically they're better off buying them in four- or eight-hour chunks because you also have minimum trip charge for companies that don't have that uh, on-the-clock driving to and from. Likewise, you could be three hours away from their office, and, and is that the same you know, trip charge as two minutes away or whatever? So understand that. Uh, typically uh, loaded by the time you get everything loaded up for um, uh, a fully skilled electrician, you're 170 an hour. Something like that. It could be as cheap as 140. It can go up as high as 215. It depends what's on their truck and how many uh, stock materials they carry with them. Okay. And then your the question I have is: Do you pr- recommend a sink? Uh, based on your last comments on the faucet, do you recommend a single faucet or, or a double faucet? Or, or give me the pros and cons, please. And I'll, I'll hang up to listen to that answer. Thank you. Okay, Joe. Yeah, good question. Uh, likewise, on single, it depends. Uh, for example, uh, accessibility. As I get older, um, I, I love the look of a spread handle faucet. So a uh, separate hot and a separate cold, man, I love that. Um, however, as we get into later years, 
um, scald guard. Um, if I start losing my mental acuity, uh, the ability to scald myself, if I just turn it on full hot, I get full hot. So in a single-handled faucet, faucet, you can get a pressure-balanced faucet, and you can also control how hot the water comes out of that faucet to some extent. Uh, so as we age and for... Um, convenience uh, I like a single handle faucet that's why you're seeing them so much in the kitchen because you have oil butter you know grease uh, cooking uh, residue whatever food on your hands uh, understand there's a third one here so you've got the single handle for convenience now you'll find that most kitchen faucets come with a, a touchless feature where you put your hand underneath the faucet just like you do in a restroom at the airport or grocery store or whatever and you wind up with a touchless feature and the hot and cold you adjust it for a temperature but it's a battery operated so the thing isn't really wired to the wall it's only run by a nine volt battery or one and a half volt you know so it's battery operated on the on off and the water just flows so uh, most convenient is the touchless not every faucet has that not every brand has that single uh, handle is the most convenient for pressure balance and accessible uh, but frankly in my world until you get some of the beautiful Beautiful, you know, $1,000 kitchen faucets and, and lavatory, you know, sink faucets. I love the look of a separate 8-inch or widespread, maybe 12-inch, you know, a separate hot, separate cold. I'm old school. Um, I love that for the for the beauty and the classic on it. I will say there are some single-handled faucets that just uh, win me over. So it's a case-by-case personal um, taste. So uh, don't worry about that. Uh, you know, Joe, it's whatever you like, but there are really three. Two-handled, hot, separate hot, separate cold, single-handled for uh, one-handle operation, and touchless is the third one. Um, let's see what else uh, is happening here with, uh, how about Mildred? Hey, Mildred, good morning, and how may I help you? Good morning, Scott. Thank you so very much for taking my call. I'm yeah. calling, you said something about, uh, in honor of your father, a SAM service that you have for handyman uh, purposes. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that, first of all. Well, uh, we've done this where, and, and it really ties in to uh, Joe's question of how much for an electrician. Uh, so frankly, you know, he winds up calling somebody, he pays for the drive time, he pays for the whatever, uh, and, and he's probably not very happy with the charges and how that happened. So with Handyman, um, we have to go to the store, pick up materials, see typically go look at. Anyway, you're better off with a fixed price estimate uh, because then you can take it or leave it, but on a per hour basis uh, in order to properly pay for the tradesman, the cost, the time away, uh, picking up materials, all of that, uh, we had to come up with the SAM uh, subscription service. So uh, really, you buy a level of service, and we visit the house four times a year. We basically show up, and we put in four hours, eight hours, whatever, and and some of that's by the size of the house, how many bathrooms. You know, we check the faucets and change the water filters and uh, check the batteries and the, you know, smoke detectors, all that sort of thing. So we've had to go just to keep from making people mad on the on the um, handyman thing because you really have to send out a smart guy. You can't send out somebody that just knows how to fix one thing. Uh, so likewise, these are pretty pricey tradesmen, uh, and you know, they're compensated accordingly. So anyway, the SAM service now is a subscription-based, um, and it's unfolding pretty much now. But uh, that's really it is we're selling a, um, a quarterly visit to the home kind of 
so instead of waiting for it to break and then wait for somebody and nobody ever gets there fast enough is pretty much proactive uh keep it from breaking you know you've got a faucet here things about 12 years old you know it's getting low on such and such so it, it kind of combi- combines the knowledge of the home improvement show with you know it's time to change this thing out or you know next year you might want to uh get your heating and cooling replaced Thank you for that, uh, uh, you know, explanation of your services. Uh, my uh, other question is, and I and I came in, I think, late last week, and now I know what time you come on, so I, I will be uh, specifically on uh, on time. And you were talking about uh, insulation in the attic, and it was pertaining about uh, house, I think, plastic wrap. Whereas on my upper level, which is the attic space, uh, when I had to have the um, redone and all the uh, old stuff taken out and uh, uh, drywall put in, the uh, person put in a plastic wrap, which really, really helped in the wintertime to keep uh, you know, uh, the air from penetrating. But it did not go from the rafters. It went from the inside space and not the crawl space, inside space uh, around the uh, perimeter of, of both of the rooms upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. you were talking against that as to, I think, uh, uh, what, what are the pluses and minuses of having uh, uh, a plastic wrap on the inside of your house and yet, in the crawl spaces, you have uh, insulation, uh, you know, floor in, floorboard insulations. What what is happening to the roof? What what happens to the tile and the wood yeah. and all the the rest of the stuff in your estimation as to what you know? Could you speak a little bit more on that, please? Sure, Mildred. Good question. You set it up really well. Um, some of this is old school, new school, um, and some of this is the basis of the CamWax Home Improvement Show that uh, when I first came into the trades, when I was in my 20s, um, a vapor retarder was plastic polyethylene plastic. So we would put the insulation up, uh, unfaced, bad insulation in the wall, and then we would nail up a uh, half mil or one mil, very thin, uh, visque queen uh, vapor retarder the problem is plastic is not permeable it does it does block the air but it does not allow the moisture which inherently gets blocked and trapped inside walls so then over the last 30 40 years by creating problems with the plastic uh, we now move to what's called the craft face which was been has been around as long as the plastic it's the paper bag you know just like the grocery store grocery bag you get that's a craft k-r-a-f-t face a paperback and it lets the moisture go through it and whereas plastic does not plastic is not permeable enough this happens also on house wraps you know the tyvek stuff that goes on the outside of the house but the inside so typically um, we no longer use plastic anywhere on the inside of the house in st louis because it doesn't allow the humidity which is just in the air every place i mean just the last week here in st louis the humidity has been very high what that means is the air is is ringing sopping wet the, the air is literally wet well that air is inside the wall cavity so if you put plastic on it trying to slow down the migration of moisture you slow it down too much and at 100 degrees 90 percent relative humidity inside that wall cavity you start growing some pretty interesting things so uh, old school 
I have been part of putting plastic in a lot of places, uh, but typically we go to the craft face, or now we've got all kinds of smart technology materials, kind of a, a subset of the outdoor house wrap to where they really they have a direction. They'll let the moisture come out of the wall, but they slow down the penetration of moisture coming from the outside. So, Mildred, that's a long answer to a, a complex question, but suffice it to say, uh, we typically stay away from, and Mosby, I don't think, has put plastic in uh, any place other than on a crawl space down on the dirt floor in a crawl space for decades, frankly. Let me ask you this then, Scott, before uh, you go head on, and I know you have plenty of calls. If you have still that plastic in uh, uh, on the inside, mm-hmm. on those walls, behind the drywalls, how will you know where you have a deterioration without doing a, a visual check yourself? How will you know? What what are some of the uh, clues that uh, will uh, uh, let you know that okay, you got a problem? Uh, you'll have some. Uh, you might have a musty smell um, around the base of the floor. You may have uh, discoloration on the carpet of the floor. Uh, what's the outside of your house? Is it a brick house or sided house, Mildred? Oh. It's a brick house. And what I'm concerned with is the roofing. You know, how yeah. does that plastic, what have you all found out about plastic being in the uh, uh, inside walls? What does it do to the roof and all? Uh, well, up in the roof. roof is, uh, uh, it's going on 20 years. So, you know, uh, and, the, uh, uh, and and the, between the roof, I, I don't smell the, uh, like you say, the uh, no, no kind of smell or anything, because sure. I try to ventilate it, uh, you know, uh, by opening windows on the upstairs in the cool yeah. uh, early mornings and all, and then closing the windows afterwards uh, at, uh, after 1030. But uh, my thing is, uh, if I plan on getting a roof, how will I know and what will show up? Well, uh, if you have an if you have a vented attic, Mildred, um, it's not vented. It's it's not vented. See that? Ouch. Yeah, that, yeah. If you have plastic on the ceiling and your attic is vented, you have no problems because the moisture is already getting out. But if you put plastic on the ceiling, you pretty much have to keep your eyes open around the light fixtures uh, because you will have some air leakage in and out. But you're trapping moisture in there, and the roof—it's really that's the right place to put a craft face vapor retarder versus plastic. But uh, you know, so keep your eyes open around the lighting. What will happen around the light? That's a hole in the ceiling. So you get, there's air exchange. So whatever's happening up above that ceiling, you'll actually see it kind of leak out around the light fixtures and kind of a ghosting, a, a dark. It'll look a little musty, dusty. Um, you know. What about rusting of a uh, 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 ceiling fan fixture? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Any hole in your ceiling, light fixtures, ceiling fans, um, any of that, just keep your eyes open. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed the plastic went in, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily That's been pull about it apart. 20, 25 years ago, so, oh, Mildred, so what's you would done know by is done. Yeah. Uh, you're, and I'm you're... looking uh, towards, uh, as I get older, and if I want to uh, deed this over to a family member, as to what to uh, forewarn them as far as what needs to be done. I and wouldn't so, worry about uh, it. You have been very, very informative, and I'm very appreciative of your old school methods, because I appreciate them, because we're dealing with, in, uh, in the St. Louis City area, a lot of older homes. Oh, and so yeah. I know I'm speaking for a lot of uh, people that live in that situation or might have that or might have been in their homes for years, and they don't 
have the finances or whatever to uh, uh, hit the problem. Yeah, Mildred, you would have known by now. In 20 years, two decades, Mother Nature would have uh, reared her ugly head and told you you had a problem with your nose. You'd, you, you'd, you'd feel mm -mm, chest no, congestion. No, yeah, you're good. See that? that? You're okay. <laughs> Yeah, the, the good news is old buildings breathe a lot, which means they get wet and they get dry. What we've done by putting this plastic in is we stop Mother Nature from doing her thing. Mm -hmm. So, so you, whatever you did seemed to work pretty well, or else you would have been punished hard, hardly. You'd know. Your, your body would tell you as soon as you walked in that room, your chest, your nose, pass, nasal passages, okay. you'd know. Okay. Thank you. Okay, have Mildred. Good, good. All right. Bye-bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX, family of University of KMOX. Pretty smart listeners, huh? Uh, well, maybe I'm just boastful, maybe I'm just proud, but doggone it, I enjoy this show. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Take a short pause. I'm going to go learn a few more things because I've got to learn them to, just to keep up with this listening audience here on KMOX. Welcome back to the Helotech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, once again, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, my pet gerbil Bosco got a good break. Thanks for a little bit of off time here. He took a little bit of a breather, and Am thank you to Amron for you know providing the 50,000 watts of electric power to broadcast the KMOX signal. Bosco, yeah, he's, wait a minute, he's taking a little bit of a drink, so it take a little while. Uh, oh, you ready? Okay. Uh, we're going to Joel next and see what's happening with my friend. Joel, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. How can Bosco and I help you here? Hey, good morning, Scott. Really appreciate you making your expertise available to all of us. I've got a little patio in my backyard. It's about 16 feet square. It's made out of um, paving stones, and it's probably 15, 20 years old at least, and it's settling quite a bit. It's right up next to the foundation on one side. So we want to replace it. I'm curious what your opinion is, whether we should replace it with another surround of paving stone, or if we'd be better off going with, like, poured concrete and maybe stamped or some kind of what options there are, you know, what you think the pros and cons are of the different ways of going forward. Uh, Joel, it's totally up to you. Um, how old is your house? Uh, the house is probably about 30 years old. Okay. Uh, unlikely that you're going to get the enormous amount of settling right next to the foundation after three decades. Uh, but frankly, uh, pavers, if you have a problem, a tree root, um, a stain, Whatever it is, you basically pick up the pavers, pull up the sand, grade back the gravel, compact the base, put the pavers back in, sand it again, and you're good to go. So a paver product, any kind of a unit um, masonry type takeout put in, in dry form, uh, really is very high um, ease for maintaining by a do-it-yourselfer, and, and that can be done. Uh, so on 16 by 16, that's a pretty big project. You may or may not choose to do that yourself get the pros to come in to do that uh once you get into concrete I plan to have the pros <laughs> you're what i plan to have the pros do it i don't want to do it myself okay uh well then the price of pavers frankly uh for a 16 by 16 whether it's concrete pavers or whatever you're kind of paying a minimum charge it's it's too small for a uh all day for a crew in concrete so basically your paver your concrete till you get to a stamped concrete uh a really sexy finish where it requires several trips after that you know a day to come back you, you stamp it then a day to come back and clean it and then a day to come back and stain it all that that's where you get into your three loads of cost so uh, stamp okay. concrete will be the highest um 
cost. Oh, it will be. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. If I wanted to extend it maybe back by 40%, we're thinking about maybe blowing out a little bit, same kind of thing then, basically still a pretty small project. Uh, well, not really. Your unit co- basically, uh, your you, once you pay for the sixteen by sixteen, um, you know, if if you make it bigger, it doesn't straight line get more expensive usually. Uh, and I would most definitely, uh, if if you're going to pay for having this thing pulled out and put back in. Get a little crazy. I, you know, my wife and I tend yeah. to pull out a couple of lawn chairs, you know, a couple of iced teas, and we sit out there and we look around. And we say, you know, what are you looking at? So, well, I'm looking at the neighbor's dead oak tree. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe we could put some landscaping between there. And oh, that'd be nice. Well, would we curve the patio around? Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's curve the patio in. Okay, where do we come and go? Where's the walk area? Oh, it's over there. It's like, okay, where would we barbecue? So we try on. It's kind of like fly before you buy. Um, and that's the proper way, just from the homeowner standpoint, before you get a designer in there and say, well, this is how we live. This is how we would use it. Well, that, you know, that's golden to a designer, you know, concrete patio exterior landscaper kitchen doesn't matter there that's that's what's needed so you don't see any real strengths or weaknesses either way between paving stones or stamped concrete they're kind of like matter of taste then really uh no it's it's just a more expensive uh material but they they uh i will tell you that uh stamped concrete is a high cost uh maintenance item uh make no mistake uh-huh. about it um like that well, because it's a sta- it's a painted surface, so to speak. It's a, st- a concrete stain. It will bleach. It will wash away. It it uh, whites out, if you will. And then you have to strip it and and recolor it and then re-clear coat it as well. So it is a faux finish. It's a painted on concrete. So even though you have stamped concrete for the three D textured effect, uh, the coloration and the variation all comes from pretty much an artist. Oh. So actually, as far as maintenance and cost, the pavement stone's a better way to go in a sense. I think so. Now, you're, every three or four years, you're going to pay to power wash the sand out the top half inch I, I, because all the stuff, you know, so it takes a little maintenance there. But, you know, likewise, that's going you know, to do it yourself as well. Okay. All right. Well, that's very helpful. I appreciate it. Okay, Joel. Thanks for the call. Thanks much. Bye. Right on. Okay. Home improvement. Bosco, take a break, brother. We're going to get a little bit, a little business in here on University of KMI. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, once again, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, back together, wrapping up Hour 1, University of KMOX. Scott Mosby at the ready. I was studying and just trying to get sharper and sharper so that I could keep up with all the listeners here on KMOX. Let's visit my friend Mary. Hey, Mary, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? Hi, we're going to replace a kitchen window. It's 33 inches by 47 inches long, mm-hmm. and it's hard to lift it over the sink. So would you have some suggestions for seniors like with a slider? We'd like the best view, too, without obstruction. So a slider or a casement? Do you have yeah, you, yeah, you're describing a classic window issue on accessibility. And accessibility is anything after the age of 40. So if you're an athlete and you strain that back, leaning over and lifting up a double-hung window over the sink is just uh, it's a, it's a bad combination of risk, effort, and strain. Uh, sliders are not much better because you're still twisting. And if you think about that in later years, you know, it, it, that twisting and, and the leverage is still substantial 
two feet on the other side of the sink. Most commonly, if the outdoors can handle a casement opening or an awning popping out from the bottom, which is a slope, both of those are protruding windows from the outside of the house. So if it's on a sidewalk or a patio, then there's some compromises that have to be made on that. But typically, you just uh, un- unlatch the lock. You have to make sure the lock is down on the bottom of the window. Some of the older windows used to have those casement locks up at the very top, and that was just as much fun as the double hung. So typically, we will start, number one, with a casement, uh, number two, maybe with an awning. The awning is just a slope window. It hinges at the top, and it vents. Uh, you can kind of leave it open in a rainstorm unless it gets blowing. Then number three, we'll go to a slider, and, and you know, if you make us, we'll do a double hung or a single hung. It's just, it's just a long way and a lot of leverage. Okay. Yeah, very, and and you're not alone. I mean, this is, uh, boy, I'll bet I learned this in the first year of of trades just on design. You know, I mean, golly, you get a sore back as a 20-year-old carpenter and you go open that window, same problem. It's not age-related. It's just this is, there's a better way. And what do you think about hardwood floors in a kitchen? It's my, um, we're two elderly, my mother and I, and then a dog. Oh, at my age, uh, the only thing that really messes up, the dog is the biggest issue. Anything over 30 pounds will scratch up that wood floor, but typically it's the grandkids spilling a gallon of milk on that wood floor. Most of the time, uh, after the age of 45, wood floors are very common in kitchens, so not a, not an issue there, Mary. Okay. Thank you very much. All righty. Bye-bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby. And again, floors and how hard they are on ankles, knees, and hips, big deal. So many uh, one of the biggest issues that our designers face is what's the softest floor for your kitchen? Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, be back. KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helotech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Suburban Leisure Center on Olive, one mile west of 141. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. All right, hour two, middle of the day, lunchtime on KMOX. We've got lots of things to talk about. Indeed, we have phone lines open for you, all of them, 314-436-7900. All together now, the family of KMOX, 314-436-7900. Yeah, Toll free, 800 Call letters 1120-1120. You bet. This is KMOX, University of KMOX. You can take me wherever you'd like to go. Radio.com is an app. You know, APP. Um, that is not an appetizer. It is an application. So APP. App, go to the Apple Store or the Samsung, wherever you'd like to get your applications. Radio.com allows you to take me with you and all of KMOX, anybody on this wonderful station to take you along or take us along with you. Also, there's the instant rewind. Touch that button, 20 seconds zips back. You get to hear what I said just right then. So any products or pronunciation, sometimes I get pretty excited, and I, I enjoy this a whole lot, so the pace of my speaking uh, is equal to my excitement, uh, and I enjoy helping. That's that's really the real basis of this and why I enjoy it, and uh, really pretty much uh, across the board, CAMWAC staff here, everybody on air, just, just we really just enjoy it. Uh, 314-436-7900, toll-free 800-925-1120. Uh, keep in mind, um, I-, I talked a little 
little bit about last week, uh, removing a load-bearing wall. I want to speak to that just a little bit because uh, Mary actually asked a question at the end of hour one, you know, what's the best kitchen window uh, for older residents? And it's, uh, if you think about it, uh, double-hung window, those are historically significant from 100, 150 years ago when we had high ceilings down in Soulard, Lafayette Park, Benton Park, all those areas, uh, big, tall ceilings so that the hot air would get up on the top of the uh, room and the cooler air would stay down with us. Well, then we developed these double-hung windows to where we opened these big, tall windows. You drop the top sash down, so single-hung, the bottom window moves up and down. A double-hung means the bottom window moves up and down, and the top you can pull down to vent the hot air in the high part of that room, why we had tall ceilings, why we had double-hung windows, and now you zip forward 150 years, we're still putting double-hung windows because they are kind of part of our culture, our style, and our personality, and it's a colonial-style house for the most part. So anyway, that's how the double-hungs wind up in the kitchens. However, if you've ever leaned over your kitchen sink or bathroom sink, or whatever, or even just a simple countertop in the laundry room, and you try and lift up that window, whoa, I mean, you're, you're two feet away, leverage, injury to back, or uh, antagonizing uh, any sore muscles, uh, you athletes know who you are and exactly who I'm speaking to, so that point is important. So we went to pretty much something you can crank out with a mechanism, something that motors out, so a a casement window is the kind that opens left and right like a pair of doors. So that's a casement, and it, it's, a, it's a square, has usually no dividers, no grills. Those can be added for visual appeal. Uh, but then those are cranked in and out and locked uh, for safety. Um, an awning window was the second choice. Anyway, it goes out uh, it, likewise the same way with a mechanism, very little muscular effort in that. But as you get into those things, that's where designers really help, Specialists in those areas really uh, bring that added value because if you just replace that window, you're going to spend the money for the window either way. One way your back hurts, the other way it doesn't. Uh, so that's the value of good design uh, or uh, experience is knowing what the mistake was by making it or experiencing it uh, before and avoiding it in the future. So anyway, that's really the basis of, especially for us, kitchen design. And then uh, also she asked, what is the good uh, wood window? window in a kitchen well golly uh, it's it used to be um a vinyl floor, which was pretty easy on our on our legs then we went into uh you know um, tile. Uh, ceramic tile, porcelain tiles, very hard materials. Uh, then we, you know, America gets a little bit older. Uh, now we're getting back into when, back into some of the linoleum, some into the corks, uh, more woods, hardwoods, uh, uh, even bamboo floors. We're now getting into some exotic hard. The issue is the woods are much softer than the ceramic tile. So we're moving away from the ceramic tile more into the woods, and that's more for people with not so many younger kids because if you design in a wood floor in a young family, it will be beautiful. I, I grant you that. But children inevitably drop the juice, drop the milk, drop the water, and make spills. So again, you have a, you know, it's important to have a usually vinylish floor that's uh, forgiving from that point of view. Uh, anyway, in load-bearing walls, the reason we uh, really don't really hesitate to pull them out, the load-bearing part is very easy to fix. It is simple calculation, simple engineering. 
what is not easy to fix and where the money stacks up and we avoid removing walls, whether load-bearing or not, is if we have steam heat pipes, ductwork in there, uh, load-bearing columns that are point loads for specific second and third floor loads that come down through that wall. So it's the hidden stuff inside the wall that costs the money. A load-bearing wall is pretty much math. Shore up the two sides of the room, uh, prop it down to the basement floor so you're carrying, transferring that load all the way down to, you know, two floors and not just that first floor uh, structure, not made to carry point loads like that. Uh, And then build back in the two point loads. Sometimes we have to add columns down in the basement underneath the steel beam right at that right place, depending on how wide the opening is. And then engineer, it's pretty much uh, pretty simple math on whether it's steel, laminated beam, whatever structure. It'll span this far. It needs to carry this much. You know, if it carries 20,000 pounds and you have two points, you have a load, you know, 20,000 divided by two. You have a post on the left, post on the right. Each one carries 10,000 pounds. And then you calculate it down all the way to the soil. Uh, Well, you know, what does it take to carry that? So that's the easy part. And it's pretty much, you know, you're, you're getting what you pay for. But when you're moving steam pipes, you're moving big electrical runs, you're moving uh, ductwork, you know, every time you move that stuff, you change, especially with ductwork, uh, every time you put a 90-degree angle in, you diminish the flow, uh, fluid dynamics, somewhere between 15 to 30%. So every time you put an elbow in, you're diminishing how much flow because you're getting more resistance, more friction is slowing down the airflow as flow is going around that corner. Uh, so anyway, load-bearing walls, don't be afraid of them, but also realize that, you know, there is a cost to it. It's like, oh, who removes a load-bearing wall? It, that's the easy part. Paying for the rest of the stuff is the challenge. 314-436-7900-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby, KMOX, I am at your service and i'll be right back okay back together a little iou from hour one had a caller that was on the line for a while and uh, dropped off uh, a long time for his hot water to get to his faucet his bathroom uh and it runs for a long time uh, that just means that the water heater is at one end of the house and that faucet is at the other there are ways to handle that and make that better however they are more costly they are not as energy efficient frankly as what you're doing uh it seems funny to run and waste all that water for 20 seconds as you turn on the faucet it takes that long for the hot water to come uh, all the way to that faucet there are instant hot systems that are piped where there is a circle loop or it's called a loop system you have a little bitty very small pump that's almost like you know for a fish tank it's really tiny really moves the water slowly but you have a delivery pipe that might be three quarters of an inch running down to that whole bathroom and it's a hot water and then you might have a return half inch pipe that comes all the way back to the water heater and then that pump mounts right there and it just circulates that water very slowly so you always have hot water in that loop and then when you turn on your faucet instead of uh, say 40 feet of water it may only have four or five feet of water before it gets to that circular loop of hot so that's an instant water instant uh, hot water uh, there are also pumps little pumps that pump from the hot water side to the cold water side sometimes we do that at mosby auto circ a-u-t-o-c-i-r-c auto circ is one of the brands we've used uh, we use that primarily because it does have a sound i mean 2 a.m that thing goes off on a time 
you know, just like a little fish tank. So there is a cost to that as well as running electric underneath your sink and putting that little thing. It just takes the hot water, pumps it over to the cold, and it keeps uh, that water typically from freezing, but it also is an instant hot. Uh, let's go to the phone lines here and talk to my friend Joe, see what's happening. Hey, Joe, good afternoon. Welcome to Lunch on KMOX. How can I help? Hey, Joe, you're on. Wake yeah, up. Hi, Scott. There you go. How you doing, buddy? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Listen, I've got an unusual situation here at home. Yeah. I've got three bedroom doors that refuse to stay open on their own. They, uh, You know, you open the door and then walk away from it, and it starts closing by itself. Yeah. So what can I do to remedy the situation without having to replace the entire door framing? Well, what happens is that door has sagged a little or the house has shifted. And if you've got three of them that move like that, it's more likely the whole house has shifted. You know, just like my belly used to be up around my chest. Now it's more down, associated with my belt. So same thing happens with house. You don't have, of course, you don't have that problem, of course. Uh, but the point is, is the house moves. Uh, one of the ways uh, that my father taught me years ago was to bind the hinge. Uh, and because the doors swing so freely, they will, like a pendulum, swing to its more neutral place, which is now a closed situation. So what my father taught me years ago, um, and this takes a crescent wrench, an adjustable crescent wrench. You pull the pin on the top uh, pin or middle, uh, only one at a time and the leafs where you have one side of the hinge butt or the hinge itself the one on the jam you pull the pin and then you bend those two or three elements the little shaft the barrel shafts that the pin goes through bend them about you know just a little bit out of alignment and what it does is it binds the door now full disclosure Uh. a year later this will make your door squeak so just be aware, but you, you put enough resistance in the swinging of those free-moving uh, hinges to where they'll stay open, or you get that classic thing you put down on the floor to hold the door open. Yeah, well, you know, I was thinking about taking the uh, hinge plates and adding some washers on the lower screw to give it a little more of an angle. Yeah. And, oh, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah, we do that. We used to do that with uh, with paper, uh, match uh, book thicknesses. Uh, so all types of little shims. So uh, you can use wood shims, uh, but don't discount cardboard. We use, uh, you know, not corrugated, but, uh, you know, matchstick books back then is what we used to use. Uh, so you can get thicknesses. Now there are shims you buy in the, in the supply shops for drywall, you know, aligning drywall. But, yeah, it, you can plumb that door back up. Uh, yeah. But be aware, uh, you're playing with fire here, Joe, because the more you shim that out, the tighter you make that door on the other side of the jam. It may not close. Yeah, well, I thought perhaps, you know, by loosening up the uh, the base plate that's against the framing, if I went ahead and took the screws out and added some washers on the lower screw, sure. to give it a, a little bit of an angle upward or outward, yeah. I that, thought that, that might help. Basically, but I think your suggestion there about uh, uh, pulling the hinge pin and uh, just talking that... Uh, uh, barrels a little bit, maybe that might uh, create a little resistance and uh, solve the problem. I hadn't thought about that. 
Yeah, the the more um, uh, long-term way to fix it is the way you're suggesting. The the problem is you really have to have an equal margin all the way around that door. And there are also, also a, a tool you can buy now at the hardware store. has a little inflatable bladder. You just slide underneath the open edge of the door, and you pump it up and tie it off, and it, it lifts the door uh, so you don't have to you know have three or four arms to do this. Yeah, I got it. Got yeah. it. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good luck, Joe. As usual, you solved my problem. Well, anyway, I gave you some information. You're the magic. There you go. All right. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, off and running lunchtime KMOX. Uh, let's see what's happening here with my friend DJ. Hey, DJ, welcome to Lunch Midday KMOX. How can I help, sir? Hey, Scott. Thanks for uh, taking the call. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm going to replace a, um, a sliding door, uh, sliding doors with a pocket door. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a house built in 56, so uh, the walls are, you know, plaster over, I mean, uh, yeah, plaster over drywall. So the, so the wall's thicker, obviously. I've got a 5 and 5 16th inch wall. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is, you know, I, I want to buy a, a standard frame. Do I center that and, like, add, like, a 3 8 inch, maybe plywood on both sides? Or can I offset it and put, you know, add, like, 3 quarter plywood? Or how do I make up for that difference in thickness? Uh, are you surface mounting wall. this sliding door, or are you truly doing a pocket door that slides inside the wall cavity? Yeah, I'm taking the sliding door out and replace. I want to put a pocket door in its place. It, the sliding door yeah. is interior or exterior? It's all interior. It's a, it's like a little half bath. Oh, I know what you're talking. Okay. It, 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 you would think it's a closet, but it's actually a little tiny, small half bath. And yeah. when they built it, they put a sliding door on it. And we want to take that out and put a pocket door there. A pocket door nice. is also a sliding door that slides inside the wall. So I'm having trouble catching oh, up with you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, bypass doors. They were they were sliding bypass doors. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want this door to, to disappear in its open form to go inside the wall itself? Yep. Yeah, okay. correct. Okay. Uh, hang on to your hat. This is a long answer. Um, okay. Uh, a pocket door, if you have a two-foot pocket door, you need a four-and-a-half-foot opening because the door okay. is two, two feet sure. wide plus the door inside the wall plus the size for the framing. So you're pulling the drywall off, or in your case, the plaster, uh, and there's no other way around it. You can't install it. You can pull off one side. Oh. Yeah. Well, so you're pull- no, but I don't have to pull. It. I've got plenty of space to do. When I when I take these, uh, by, you know, bypass doors down, I'm going to have plenty. I've got like 58 inches of space in there, and I'm going to put a 28 inch door in there. But it, there, so it will slide real, between. I got a big enough opening. Yeah, I've got plenty of an opening there. Huh. I'm confused. I'm having a hard time understanding. <laughs> uh, so, are you going to make a? You have a double door now, and you're going to turn it into a single. That's correct. I'm catching up with you now. There you go. That's, that's correct. I'm probably not explaining what's there right now very well. Oh, you're talking to third grade ears here. It takes a long time for me to catch up here with you, brother. Uh, yeah, I got that's it. Um, 
effectively, you will buy a pre-hung door frame, which typically you assemble. It comes KD, which means knock down. You have to screw it together according to the instructions. Yeah. Uh, definitely yeah. buy a better carriage. Uh, there are, for example, Johnson has a simple plastic wheel you can get easily anywhere inexpensively. If you're doing a pocket door, buy the next hardware quality up. Sometimes they'll have a, a triple roll carriage or sometimes for the heavier yeah. doors, a four roller carriage on each mover. Um, yeah. Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at a Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Johnson has like three or four brand, you know, or quality levels. So get the second one, uh, go above your standard one, usually a special order or something like that. Uh, and then you just frame it in uh, to the center of the wall. You can indeed drywall your two sides, but you have to make up the thickness. So you'd have maybe, you know, a five eighths layer of drywall, quarter inch layer of drywall, and then you have to skim coat it, you know, as well, tape it around the edges. Uh, melding the plaster to the drywall or getting a plaster coming in behind you, that's where the real wizardry is. The installation of yeah, the pocket not, door is yeah, not gonna, that big. Yeah, I'm not going to plaster. I was just going to drywall. But I, what I, have to, I have to make up three-quarters of an inch in space, you know, because uh, all these, these frames are made for four nine-sixteenths walls, yeah. and my, my wall is five and five-sixteenths. So i got to make up three-quarter inch. Well, that, but your two-by-fours will be the same thickness. You, you follow me? That's you're just describing how fat the plaster is versus drywall. The stud cavity and the actual um, sure. um, Correct. Correct. pocket door frame fits in between. So true, right? So, so to match it up with the rest of the wall, it has to be thicker. So yeah, so you're going to put make... two layers of drywall on, or something like you. You follow where I'm going there? Oh, or one yeah, layer of half. It. So my question is, yeah. can I just use like plywood? Amen. Uh, or... Sure. Your your best okay. first layer, for, let's say you've got an inch, uh, let, just for conversation, you've got an inch thickness of plaster on each side. Well, mm -hmm. that's a half-inch plywood or half-inch OSB, which means you put that right on the frame and, and you know, you screw that through, make sure your fasteners don't go through into the, into the door cavity. Sure. Um, right. And then you basically uh, laminate your half-inch drywall on top of that as well, or three-eighths mm -hmm. or whatever thickness you need. So you just manipulate the layers. This is how we do floors on subfloors and alignment on, you know, to get all the thresholds gone. So same old, same okay. old. It just, you just have to do the math on what lamination layers you, okay right would you suggest i even that off on both sides or in there so that the door pocket door is in the very center of the wall or can i push it to one oh, yeah. side where i've got drywall on one side and i made up the difference on the other side uh six and one half dozen the other you can do both the problem is your door will look funny where your threshold and your floor changes underneath so when you're putting if you have the same floor going through all the way it's not a problem mm -hmm. but if yeah. you have say tile inside one and wood on the other your door will yeah, now be continuous. in this okay yeah not in yeah, the it's center continuous hardwood hard it's continuous hardwood right into it so that's a, okay, yeah you cool. can you can do either. I will say, uh, if it were me or a professional, we'd put it in the center of the... Of the in the center? Yeah. That's what I was wondering, if it would look weird. Yeah. Okay. And then think... the, other, the other question would be about the uh, the GMs, because all the, you know, if you buy the GM kits, they're for four nine sixteenths. So the oh, you make your own side. I yeah. have to make my own. That's what I can. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't know... You just buy a one by six or one by eight and rip it down and plane it. it yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have to do it myself. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and if you think okay. this is going to take you a day, it'll take you three. No, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. I, you know, I'm not judging it, but I mean, it yeah. just if you don't do this every day, there's a lot of noodling going on where you're just scratching your head now. Oh. What? 
you know. Well, I, I understand. Yeah. You're on top of it. I can tell by your questions. So you're you'll you'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, the advice. Okay, DJ. Take care. Bye now. All right. Take it easy, Scott. Bye. All right, I appreciate you're going along with DJ and I on that description. He's putting in a pocket door. Pocket doors kind of slide, for those of you that know what it is, you know, slide it in. It disappears. It actually goes inside the wall cavity itself, and then you just pray that nothing happens to the hardware. Thus, my recommendation to get better quality hardware, move up the food chain one or two steps above so you get a better hardware that typically stays on the carriage and doesn't need adjustment repair more later. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby, this is the Helitech Home Improvement Show right here on CamWex. I'll be right back. And welcome back. Home Improvement Hour 2. Scott Mosby, St. Louis. Uh, nice, shiny, bright day today, and that may change here in a little bit. Well, if you don't like the weather it's St. Louis, it'll change. And remember, likewise, 10 phone lines open for you. I'm getting a little bit lonely here. Studio Camo X, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120-800-925-1120. Have you considered uh, redoing your laundry, your mudroom, all those places where we visit so often? Uh, for example, my idea of luxury is when I go to use it and do things that I may not exactly like doing, like laundry, dishes, things like that. I want that faucet to work in my kitchen, and I want a bright, cheery place for doing the laundry. I do a good bit of sorting there and folding as well as does my wife. We both uh, share that duty. And likewise, when I come in from outside, I always have a dump of something. I have my cell phone. I have the mail. I have, you know, whatever's coming in. Usually this time of year, it's some sort of a drink container for cold water driving in the car. All those things are important. And those rooms can be designed to really function. So I urge you to kind of look at those simple things in your life and add the luxury and functionality because having stuff that works for you, that's good. Uh, let's go uh, see what the phone's uh, right here and talk to Linda, my friend. Hey, Linda, good afternoon. How can I help you here? Hello, Scott. Hello. I have a 50-year-old brick ranch with a hip roof, mm-hmm. and I'm needing to add some attic insulation. Okay. And I'm wondering if it would be any benefit to have that old stuff vacuumed out and put batting down instead of the cellulose? Uh, no, not really. Actually, if it truly is cellulose, um, that's a very good insulation here. Uh, Linda, I wouldn't do that. I would, however, uh, seal around all of your light fixtures. Uh, what we've learned in the last 50 years about uh, how to build that house is even if we add lots of insulation, for example, NASA is shooting a space capsule out into space, if they have the best insulation on the walls, but the door doesn't fit very well or the light fixtures, air comes through from the outside, then that's a problem for both pressure and heat. So my point being is around just your light fixtures on the ceiling, uh, ceiling fans, uh, in the wall where wires may come from a light switch up into the wiring that goes in the attic, you know, caulk around those wires up in the attic. So as it comes time to add insulation, um, then I would 
directly just and frankly if i had uh, uh cellulose i'd probably put cellulose on top of it i kind of like putting the to- two of those together keeping the same now you may in the 1950s have zonalite which actually may have asbestos and zonalite is popcorn and there's also kind of a fibrous material that had some asbestos in it so i before i do any of that i might get that stuff tested uh just have some insulation company and just say would you come by and take a look at it and let me know how to seal it up but air sealing between your house and your attic is the biggest return on it it's cheap and it really makes a difference what if i have it tested and it turns out just to be all nasty newspaper i have two bathroom ceiling fixtures they're combination fan and exhaust Mm -hmm. and they're kind of problematic i always have to have them repaired or replaced and that stuff falls down through there and it's just really nasty well, that's the that's the sealing up the air. That's an air leak. Why I really believe I would have those fans changed. And this gets to the luxury part. Um, I would invest in having new bath fans installed. And when those were installed, I would foam those in or caulk those in, so nothing from the attic, whether it's air insulation, critters, bugs, you know, nothing goes between the inside of my house and the attic. That's that's where the energy efficiency comes from, as well as you know, just keep the dust out for heaven's sakes that you're. When you say foam them in, do you mean like build a foam box over top yeah. of it? Yeah, and likewise, when you exit that fan duct, uh, have you ever had any drips or leaks of cold water or any of that coming out of your vent fan? No. Good. Good. You're in a good situation. Sometimes it takes insulating that ductwork to the outside to keep the warm temperature warm enough so it doesn't condense and drip cold water down on the floor or on the bather in the shower. So uh, before I change that insulation, I would test it and I would change everything that I wanted to light fixtures, ceiling fans, um, vent fans in the bathroom, get those vented correctly to the outside and then seal around those things and then add. But there's nothing wrong with cellulose insulation at all. What about newspaper? Uh, newspaper is cellulose. I mean, if it oh, is, that, okay. that's that. Uh, I, I wouldn't worry too much. I would have that tested as well because there are some treatments. There was a borate treatment for the newspaper, um, but boy, that, that wasn't done in the 50s. That would have been done more in the 70s and 80s. Um, and some no, of those treatments. It's a 50-year-old house, but it was built like 68, 69. And it's like a newspaper thing, not fibers? Yes. Wow. Hmm. I'd ha- I'd I'd call an insurance or a uh, insulation company out and have them inspect your attic. They'd be happy to do that. Uh, and and frankly, I would call Mosby Building Arts. We have a referral list that we're very happy to share. You're welcome to call them at three one four nine zero nine eighteen hundred and you know and just say hey, I talked to Scott on the radio, and we'll give you a couple of names for people that we use and trust, and they do a good job for us, so they do a good job for you. Okay, well, I had an insulation company look at it, and I, I went and replaced the fans, and now I'm ready to do the insulation. Yeah. And they were just going to blow in more and put a plywood box around the top of the fans. Oh, but I'm not opposed to like that. Deal. I'm not opposed to that. That That's, yeah. Yeah, just make sure they caulk and seal the air leaks, uh, and that's a little more than just a, f- a box around there. Uh, some boxes are not insulation contact worthy, so they build that box to keep the insulation from touching the fixture. That's another uh, good way of doing that. Okay. But, Thank yeah. you, Todd. It sounds like you're on the right path here, uh, Linda. I don't think you're, uh, you know, in, in bad territory at all. Okay. 
Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby. Um, I'm a little baffled, though, in the 1950s of shredded newspaper um, and, and vacuuming it. I, I will say this, and I, I do want to back up to Linda. If this makes you uncomfortable or you're losing sleep, fix it. That peace of mind, uh, and, and that's really it. That's a consumer decision, which is separate from the nuts and bolts of building. If you're worried about it, then it's important, and your gut is telling you something that supersedes anything that I would say. Uh, because, you know, frankly, if I'm worried about it, and I'm e- even remotely losing sleep over it, if you're worried about your safety, change it, fix it, because that's where the peace of mind comes from. And when you can let go, when you can really relax, that's when your house is really working for you. Uh, phone lines are open for you, 314-436-7900, My name is Scott Mosby. This is Camo X. We're going to take a short pause and come right back for more on University of Camo X. Yes, indeed, Home Improvement Show. This is the Helitech Home Improvement Show, wrapping up our two. Scott Mosby at your service on the microphone. We've had some great calls throughout the uh, two hours, and uh, I'll take you through those in a little bit. But we've got a couple of calls here that we need to get to and talk to David. Hey, David, Scott Mosby, welcome to KMWX. How can I help? Hey, Scott, how's it going? I'm going to follow up on the lady that just called about the installation. Yeah. Yeah, um, we went to a, some sort of seminar about four or five years ago. Uh, and this guy, you know, where you get the coupon in the mail and you go home and get a free meal and all this stuff. And he was he was selling this aluminum-type foil that you right. use instead of, like, attic installation. I don't remember what the name of it is, but are, are you familiar with that? Yes, I'm, I'm, I am. Okay. Because he said he used it in NASA on, you know, like the – like on satellites and right. blah, blah, blah. But it keeps the heat, you know, like in the winter, it keeps the heat in and keeps and in the summer, well, it keeps the... Yeah. I, Let me, th- we're that's a, a new home. We're building a new home. And, ooh. I, you know, and I even asked the dude, I said, why isn't this standard? And, you know, if it's so good, why isn't more builders using it? You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. Well, if you're building a new home and you're putting sheathing on the proper place for a reflective foil material is on the roof sheathing or on the back side of your drywall on your ceiling. Uh, because you really want to repel the heat, um, the best place. So it would be foil-backed drywall applied on the ceiling. So that reflects the heat back up into the insulation. Or another way to put it, uh, ideally, you don't want it on the inside of your uh, sheathing. Typically, then, it would be uh, foil back roof sheathing as well the problem with that is when you're Mm -hmm. uh, reflecting heat up into your shingles you're messing with the warranty of your roof shingles so the proper place to put it is foil back drywall at the ceiling line all these roll pocket bubble things is a sold product they um the products do perform as they uh describe but not in the application of an attic so i am not a fan of these and uh not not okay I'm not a you know. But even so, if they use that, say that was on the back of your drywall, would you still blow like like a blow in insulation in your attic anyway? Or you? Oh yeah, absolutely. You, okay. Yeah. You, you eliminate all that. Well, and, here, here, follow me here. Hang on a minute, uh, yeah. David. There is radiant 
heat, which is the sun coming, and the foil will reflect and reject radiant heat. So the sun and the heat comes on, and it reflects. That is separate than isolation and insulation. So doing one uh, addresses different things. So it does not diminish your need for insulation. Okay. All right. Yep. Well, thanks for the info. Uh, and it's the go with what we got. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, but when you're doing a new home and you get the opportunity to do foil back drywall, that's where it's cheap and high value. But when you're going in and and spending high high cost for for high value, then you're kind of trading money. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Good, David. We'll stay with, we'll stay with what the industry offers. So, great. yes, sir. Thanks a All lot, right. Scott. Bye now. Talk Bye to now. you. Bye. And that's, again, we get some of the, uh, there are paint coatings that are really whiz-bang magic. And there are these reflective technologies. Some goes on glass. Uh, some go on drywall. Some go on uh, barriers underneath uh, slate and, and tile roofs. Um, but the application matters. For example, um, asbestos is a magical material. It does not burn. But if it's around me, which in a biological setting with the fibers, it's really bad in that application. But the material is phenomenally performance-based. So not all good performance materials apply in that what we call the assembly in construction. Uh, Let's go see what's happening with Sally. Hey, Sally, Scott Mosby, how can I help? Yeah, hi. Um, Excuse me, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. We've got a minute, so make it quick. Okay, real quick. I have a a concrete porch that is um, uh, about 20 feet long by 4 feet wide. It Mm -hmm. is perfect condition. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just boring. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to cover it with something that would be attractive to look at. Um, And what recommendations do you have? Uh, aesthetically, you could make it look uh, even southwestern with uh, with uh, timbers and lumber. You could close it in as a greenhouse. Uh, I would uh, make it more like a pergola, a charm, an attractive feature that you or somebody is just, oh, that looks like a nice little place to sit down and just gather my thoughts. That's how I would design-wise go at it. Well, what would you cover the concrete with? That's what I'm looking for is what would I overlay the concrete with? Uh, Probably ceramic tile would be the best thing on that or nothing, Sally. Um, Yeah. Uh, Running out of time. See you next week.